Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you for coming here today in a gloomy day. Um, so you are very brave, and uh, I think the title of the message kind of match with that. Too real to be true. Uh, to see that uh, people are willing to make sacrifices uh, for for God, that is very encouraging. Last week. Pastor Rick talked about spiritual parenting and then he explained the importance for us Christians to mentor other people. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to him. I know he's not here today, but uh, since we've met, he's been a very, um, he's been a great mentor for me. Um, he's a fun guy. I like talking about sport like me. But uh, whenever we have the opportunity to meet together, we always have this discussion about theology. And I like talking about theology. I just love it. And then we would spend a couple of hours talking about theology. And then he would ask me questions about uh, certain things. Uh, quite often, we always have the same, I would say, answers or mindset about that. And he would pray for me. He would pray for me and say, God, I want you to uh, give discernment and help with me. That's kind of important to me to see that he's willing to help me to grow spiritually. He's willing to mentor me. Because um, it's not something easy to find somebody nowadays to give you their time, to listen to you. But he's always there for me, always there to listen to my question and then talking about theology. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I just want to say thank you about that. Today, we're going to continue the discussion. It's going to be about family. As you can see, there is a, a very, I would say, uh, beautiful picture. It's like, it's a tree. It's, it's a family tree. This family tree, that would be one of the most controversial family tree of all time. Because this one talks about Jesus, who is called Christ. And there's something very, very important about that. Because people always have this passion to talk about their families. We always have interest to know about our root, to know about our ancestors. Nowadays, we even have a lot of websites. If you go to Google, you type ancestry.com, you would see a website. If you want to pay, they can help you to find your root. There is something fascinating about that. We really enjoy knowing our background. We really enjoy knowing about our people, right? It is a joy for us to know that our great-great-grandfather was a CEO. It is always a pride for us to know that our mother was, you know, the premier of Manitoba. We, we love uh, those things. And a lot of people dedicate the time to white biography from age of zero until training. You would see a lot of valuable information. But sometimes, 
we could be very sad to know that something has gone wrong. Sometimes we could even say, like, I, I wish that, you know, those people were not part of my family. But as the saying say, you can choose your friends, but you cannot choose your family. Sean, would you please help? Sorry. Thank you, sir. Matthew chapter 1. This passage talks about the genealogy of Jesus. I know it's a gloomy day. It's not sunny outside. You think, oh, really? Actually, you choose to preach on this passage? Uh, and then you're going to take your time to read all those names? Father, father, father. No, we're not going to do that. But I just want you to be mindful about four people, four women. Actually, I put them in bold. If you uh, take a look at verse 3, you're going to see a name, Tamar. Keep that in mind. We're going to need it. And also verse 5, you're going to see Rahab and Ruth. And the last one would be uh, Bathsheba. That would be Uriah's wife. Genealogy is a very important document in Jewish culture. Jewish give a lot of, I mean, importance to background. It's not like uh, you, yeah, you were from this family and then after two or three generations, it's gone. In Jewish culture, it has to be there all the time. They're going to trace it for a generation. And in that context, I'd like to share a couple of things about the world of genealogy in Jewish culture. The first one, obviously, it's going to be for identity and background check. They're going to trace your background to know who you are. And second of all, for marriage. In Jewish culture, people pay a lot of attention to marriage. Before a parent accepts somebody in the family, they'll do a background check. They'll have to make sure they trace that 10 to 20 generations back before they can say yes. So whenever you see uh, genealogy, it's not just names. It is a valuable piece of document. Other than that, they use that for acquisition of land. For example, if you form the tribe of Zabulun, you can only buy land from that tribe. If you form elsewhere, they wouldn't sell the land to you. Before they do that, they go back and then trace the genealogy of your family, in order to see if you form that trap. And after that, they decide whether or not they want to sell you the land. Priesthood. Priesthood is very important in Jewish culture. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, 
and Leviticus, you would see that God had described perfectly well. I want those people to be part of the priesthood. I cannot wake up in the morning and say, oh, I want to be a priest. No, I had to be part of this tribe called Levite. So in order for them to accept somebody to be part of the priesthood, they had to go back and then check in their genealogy in order to see whether or not you from this tribe. So when Matthew and Luke took the time to establish the genealogy of Jesus, it's not something they just do. It is a very important statement that they are making. It is a bold statement, actually, that they are making. And you're going to see why. As Christians today, what do we have to do with genealogy? Why can't we just worship God and then say, we know that you save us? So, what is the relevance of that for us? Let's take a look. First of all, it is the story of our Lord and Savior, right? Something like that, we have a lot of interest in it. I know it is a bunch of names. But as Christians, we have a lot of interest to know everything about our Lord and Savior. Other than that, it traces the promise of redemption for humankind. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you would remember when God was talking to Abraham, tell Abraham, hey, one day this is what I'm going to. Actually, if you go back to uh, when God was talking to Eve, say so one day, yeah, your son would break the head of the serpent. That was the promise. So the promise is going to be fulfilled through this piece of passage that we have. Matthew chapter 1. In addition to that, it kind of presents Jesus to us as part of the royal family. There is something very fascinating about royal family. I don't know this uh, week if you were watching the news. Now we're talking about uh, Pippa Middletown. She's the sister of William's wife. Yesterday was her wedding. That was big buzz on the news. Everybody was talking about that because she's kind of related to the royal family. Everybody was saying, oh, that's going to be the, the, the wedding. That's going to be the marriage of the year. Wow. People always have interest to know about royal family. And then Matthew chapter 1 kind of presents Jesus to us as part of the royal family because he is related to David, David the great king of Israel. And lastly, that is a very key element. When we check the genealogy, we realize that it gives us critical insight about what we call the historical Jesus. There's this big debate about whether or not Jesus is God. Uh, He's just a human being. No, he's human being and God. No, he's half-half. No, he's just God, not human being. There's there's huge discussion about that. And people have spent a lot of time, science, history, I mean, archaeologists, they've spent a lot of time trying to trace Jesus. Some people would say, no, this man never exists. Just a story. 
But when we look back to the genealogy, we can connect all those names, and then that's going to make sense. We can prove that, hey, sorry, yeah, he did exist. He was real. It's not a fairy tale. That would be the real face of Jesus, according to forensic anthropology and science. They believe Jesus was basically like all the disciples. And they used the passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you remember when Judah, you know, Judah uh, brought all the soldiers to arrest Jesus. They couldn't recognize him. He had to go there and then give him a kiss. They believe that you know, Jesus was a little bit like Peter and John. Uh, it was not, you know, like uh, we used to present him long hair. After they reconstruct all the pieces of document that they have, they, they believe that would be him. Would be him. So that is very important for us to know that hey, he did exist. He was not a ghost. Now we give a lot of praise and. And thanks to God for using us, human beings, to do something so marvelous. To be part of what we call salvation, redemption. He uses, I would say, human being to give a human form to Jesus. So that is very important for us. And this morning, I'd like to consider, I'd like to take time to talk about four women. Four women that was part of this great mystery. You remember? I printed out the name of Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, and Bathsheba. There are a lot of discussion about those women. And a lot of people believe that is not a good thing for Matthew or Luke to put them in the genealogy of Jesus. A lot of people are very mad and upset about that. They are very disappointed. They said, this guy, Matthew, is he okay? Why would he put those women in the genealogy of Jesus? The man whom you called your Lord and Savior? Seriously? Some theologians and critics, here's what they say about this woman. Yeah, they call them unlikely women. Not only that, Some people would call them the, the bad girls of the genealogy. And they continue. They're unqualified. Prejudice. Judgmental. Why would you put those people in God's family? Why? Seriously, Matthew. What were you thinking? 
What did you put? Let's say Sephora. Yeah, we would be okay with that. Sarah, yeah, Rachel, we would be okay with that. Why would you choose to put those four? We are very disappointed about that. That's not good. Let's let, let now take a close look at those women. The first one, uh, that was in verse 3, Tamar. Uh, a Jewish audience or religious people, their reaction would be like that. Tamar? Tamar? Connected to Jesus? What? Yes, Tamar. Yes, she is part of Jesus' family. In Genesis chapter 38, the Bible tells us the story of Tamar. She married a man named Er. Unfortunately, after a while, her husband died without giving her children. That was sad. That was bad. In Jewish culture, if you married to a man, if you are a woman, you married to a man, and then, unfortunately, the man passed away. The family has to give you the other brother. I mean, by law, they cannot say, all right, good luck, go live your life. If there is somebody else in the family, another brother who is single, they have to give him to you. So you can give, I mean, child uh, to the family. Otherwise, that would be a big shame uh, for the family. So the first husband unfortunately died. And Judah, the father of her, he said to her, you know what? I'm going to give you my second child. His name is Onan. So, all right, Tama, you, you, you go and then you marry uh, Onan. Unfortunately, same thing happened. Onan died. And Judah is okay. That's two. I have a third one. Would you please be patient? And then when he's ready, you can marry him. I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm going to be patient and waiting for it. But in Judah's hair, it's like there is something wrong about this woman. I am not sure that I can give her my third son. I don't think this is going to happen. So after a while, Tama wait and wait, wait. Judah never honored his promise because he was afraid. Time just passes and passes. And guess what? She was a Canaanite. She was not Jewish. So a lot of barriers. And guess what? She's a widow. She's afflicted. She's very sad. Two husbands pass away every day. And now, she was betrayed by her father-in-law. Deceived. She said, okay, that's right. I'm going to do it my way. 
she became a justice seeker. One day, she decided to disguise herself and then went at the big gate of the city and sat down there for a while. Judah, his father-in-law, was passing by and then, unfortunately, he didn't recognize her and then said, all right, that's good. I'd like to have an affair with you. This is exactly what Tamar was looking for. They had an affair and she became pregnant. The people of the town, they were so mad, so upset. They wanted to kill her. She told them this story. Told them, hey, I was deceived. Nobody cared about me. I had to do this. And she was like, my father-in-law, he is going to be the father of my child. That kind of saved her life. That is not a good story, right? I understand why people would be mad. I understand. But guess what? We can all ask this question. Yeah. What is Tama is doing in, in, in the family of Jesus? Here's what we need to know. The first important lesson that we can learn from Tama in relation to the plan of God for humankind is that salvation is first grace for all those who have consciously done one. Yes, she did something wrong. But God's grace is so powerful, it's so tremendous. It's going to give Tamar a chance. If you know somebody who have done wrong and they spirit hopeless, go tell them that. It's not over for you. God has mercy for all those who have consciously done one and is willing to embrace them and bring them on his family. Not only Tamar, we have Rahab. Again, people would be furious. Rahab, I'm at you. Stop this. No. Rahab, you're not going. You're not going to do that, right? Rahab, yes, yes, she is part of Jesus' family. In Joshua chapter two, verse uh, verse one to three, the Bible kind of tells a story about uh, Rahab. When Joshua decided to go. And conquer Jericho. They were like, we cannot just do that. We need to send somebody to spy, to investigate the land. And they sent two spies. When they got there, they were a little bit different and people noticed them. They were fleeing for their life. And Rahab realized that. She welcomed the two spies to her house. And save their life. They were like, why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you saving our life? And she told them, I believe that your God is the most powerful. Your God 
can save. There is one thing about Rahab that everybody who knows about the Bible would know. They always put this label on her. The, the Alot of Jericho. Her life was all about prostitution. See, it's not ah, it's the. I mean, everybody in Jericho, they, they know her business. Again, she was very hospitable, welcomed those spies. She was very intelligent to know that the God of Israel is the most powerful. In Hebrew chapter 11, verse 31, this passage is called the passage of faith. This is where you're going to find all the giant in faith, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, She's there. That's marvelous. She's there. This is what the Bible has to say about her. Again, you see, the name is still there. By faith, duh. We could have just said Rehab. But they mentioned that. They mentioned that. Here's what we need to know, my friends. Why not Rehab in the family of the Lord? Why not? What's wrong with that? Second principle that emerges from the character of Rehab in relationship to the gospel is that faith is the main through which salvation can be acquired. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, once you put your faith in God, in Jesus, nothing is going to prevent you from salvation. That's very encouraging. No matter what you have done, if you're willing to put your faith in the Lord, nothing is going to prevent you to be part of God's family. This is the reason why I am here. I'm pretty sure this is the reason why most of you are here. Not because we are all good and perfect. Because we put our faith in Jesus who transforms us. That is very encouraging. The third woman that we have in the passage is Ruth. In Genesis chapter 19 uh, verse 30. If you have time, you can go and then uh, read the passage. The story of Ruth is amazing. It's beautiful. You could see the, in the picture, she is with another woman. That would be her mother-in-law, Naomi. She married the son of Naomi. Unfortunately, Uh, the son died. So, Ruth become a widow. And that was the same for Naomi as well. Things were tough. They didn't have food, nothing. And Naomi decided to go back to her place. And she 
She told Ruth, you know what? I'm old now and I don't have any more son. You don't have to do that. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to go with me. And Ruth told her, no, I cannot do that. Your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. Because you need support. You need help. And also, she was a Moabite. That is very, very, very important for us to know. She was a Moabite. I mean, there is no way. There is no way that Jewish people would accept her in the family of God. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 3. When the people of Israel were coming uh, back from Egypt to go to the promised land, the people of Moab blocked them and they didn't give them food and water. Because of that, they were so mad. And they said, all right, those people, they're going to be our mortal enemies. We have nothing to do with Moabites. We're done with them. And there was a curse pronounced. Listen, it said, no Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of the descendants, even to the 10th generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. When you see Ruth being part of the genealogy of Jesus for Jewish, that is very scandalous. That is very wrong. Here's what we can learn from that. Yes. The third important insight or truth that we can learn from Ruth is that grace gives salvation to those who have been rejected by religion and human institution. I'm very encouraged by that. Friends, you and I, we can never wipe people off. You and I, we can never toss people in the garbage. Say, oh, you're done. You're not, you're not, too, you're not good for the gospel. You have nothing to do for the gospel. You and I, we can never do that. Our responsibility is to tell people that God loves you no matter what. And that could be the story of a lot of people. She was not supposed to be part of this beautiful story. Again, I'm going to say that. I'm very encouraged by that. Would you please read that with me? The third important insight. Let's go one, two, three. After three. One, two, three. The third important insight or truth we can learn from Ruth is that grace gives us. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. That is the message of the gospel. And then we have Bathsheba. If you go back to Matthew chapter 1, you would see 
they didn't even mention her name. They didn't bother to mention her name. They called her the wife of Uriah. It's just to tell you, in Jewish genealogy, you would never see women. They didn't have time to go back and then, you know, check the background and, and make sure that we have the mother, the great mother. No. They were just focused on the men. Second Samuel chapter uh, 11 kind of explained the story of Obed-Sheba. Uriah was an Etite. And they were very nice people. They treated the people of Israel with respect and love. And Uriah was an elite soldier. He was one of the best. The people of Israel, they were at war. And one day, his wife, Bathsheba. Yeah, she was home and David was in the palace and David saw her. So I, all right, this woman, she is very beautiful. Bring her to me. And David, I didn't have her with her, unfortunately. Yeah. And then she becomes pregnant. King David, the man of God. It, it, it's not like a random person. King David. The man that God called the only one that I can call a man of my heart. He did that. And guess what? Not only adultery, but he killed Uriah. For religious people, like, why would you bring something like that in the genealogy of the Savior? Why didn't you just put Rachel, Sarah, and Sephora? But Sheba, guess what? She was the victim. She didn't do anything wrong. David was the king. Hmm. What can we learn from that? Why not Bathsheba? My friends, I know sometimes we just read uh, the Bible, but when I pause to think about those four women, it's kind of give me goosebumps and encourage me. And guess what? That is another powerful lesson that we can learn from Bathsheba. Salvation gives consolation and comfort to the wounded and the afflicted. Most importantly, God forgives our sins. Yes. Yes. God forgives our sins. That is the beauty of the gospel. 
That is the power of the gospel. Again, those four women, their lives and their story kind of tells us that the gospel is powerful. The gospel can break change. Inclusion. This is the gospel outside of the box. Reaching out to the unlikely, to the poor, to those who have bad reputation, to those that society don't like, to those who are hopeless, to those who don't have friends and family. This is the gospel outside of the box. It is not just about the people who come here every morning. No. Inclusion. That's just beautiful and marvelous. And my friends, I have to tell you, this is the gospel at its best. Reaching out to the lost. Reaching out to the poor. Bring them to God's family. Give them salvation. Again, I'm going to say that. I'm very encouraged by that. That is too real to be true. I know. When people take a bath, Tamar, Rehab, Ruth, Bathsheba, what they take. But the gospel is powerful and can save those people. May God bless you.